Again, another super important passage because it's in the Bible, okay? (laughs) Father, uh, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that, um, Lord, as we sing, you are the Lord. Lord, and we bless you and we honor you as such. Father, I pray now that you would open up your word to us. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Remind us of your love for us. Remind us that we are yours, that we've been purchased with a great, great price. Holy Spirit, now illuminate our hearts to your truth by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know if you guys follow boxing. Um, there's there's a, a picture that's coming up momentarily. I will describe it until it comes up. Um, there's a guy named Floyd Mayweather. Anybody, raise your hand if you know who Floyd Mayweather is. Okay. Money Mayweather. Um, and then there's this guy named Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao. Um, this is a typical Instagram that I've captured from both of them. Floyd Mayweather on the bottom. I'm just going to read that since it's, you know, two-point font. Welcome to my toy world. Who wants to come out and play? Bugatti something something, 1.6. He's got two of those. So that's 3.2, just if you're, you're doing that. Bugatti Grand Sport 3. Ferrari 458, that's only 360,000. So that's the, the, the lowest ones there. Uh, he's got two of those, then he's got a Lambo, he's got a Porsche, another Ferrari. This is what he wants to portray about himself to his, to his world, uh, which he thinks he owns a bunch of, apparently, with all those cars. Then here's Man- Manny Pacquiao. No matter how rich, talented, educated, or successful you are, How you care for and treat others is what matters most. And so what we see here is two very, very good fighters, two very famous men with thousands upon thousands of followers. They get more likes in a minute than we could hope for in all of our Instagram accounts combined. They're both famous, but they live radically divergent lives. One is a boy who thinks that he's a king, and the other a man of substance who lives to serve. And this morning, uh, we come to a point in John's gospel where we see the true king coming into the main event. And so if you guys will uh, turn with me to John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 12. Uh, In the blue Bibles, it's 899, first line. It's awesome. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so we'll stop there because John is is setting the stage for us. Um, Last week, I don't know if you're here, Drew did a fantastic job expositing verses 1 through 11 for us, where Mary took this ridiculous amount of expensive perfume and anointed Jesus' feet with it. Or, as Drew taught us, he poured out the most beautiful expression of worship that we're still hearing about, right? 
And this extravagant display of worship occurred six days before the Passover, which was the highlight of the Jewish calendar year. So now he tells us that the very next day, so five days before the Passover, there's this great crowd in Jerusalem. And I learned in my study this week that when John says great crowd, what he means is a ridiculous amount of humans, okay? Like just a grip of humans, tons and tons and tons of humans. Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, estimated that over two million people would show up to Jerusalem and the surrounding towns for the Feast of Passover each year. It's even documented that one Passover feast around this time, 256,000 lambs were sacrificed. 256,000 lambs. That's like the national 4-H clubs all getting together at once in Kansas City. Like every 4-H club, they're all showing their lambs and then they all, you know, you know. So this is a lot of people, okay? So great crowd, think Times Square, New Year's, New Year's Eve, times 10, okay? Just a mob of humans, people as far as the eye can see. And so John tells us that this ridiculously absurd amount of humans hear that Jesus is on his way to the city, and they run out to meet him. So let's keep this in mind as John continues in the story for us. So they were filled with excitement. They weren't passive. They get up to meet Jesus. Now, the question we ought to be asking is, what were they hoping to find in him? What are they seeking out in this man, Jesus? And if you don't get anything else out of this morning, hear this. What the people brought and what they said reveals their hearts. What the people brought with them to meet Jesus and the things that they said about Jesus and to him reveal the state of their hearts. Verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now at this time, palm branches were a symbol of victory and so people would commonly cut palm branches when a victor rode into town. So what the people are saying by what they bring here is that they see Jesus as a conqueror. He's coming to Jerusalem in triumph as he comes into the city streets. In fact, in Revelation 7, 9, there's a mention of a multitude with palms in their hands to symbolize the triumph of Jesus. So what John is telling us is that they saw him as a conquering king. Now what they said is really interesting too. They said, Hosanna, which means save now or save we pray. And then they also said, even the king of Israel. So they've brought these palm branches that tell him that they believe he's the conqueror. Then they say, save us. Save, we pray, conqueror. You are the king of Israel. The great crowd wants political and geographical freedom. They want to be out from under Rome. They want to be able to worship even more freely than they have the privilege of now. They were seeking a king. They were seeking utopia. And they thought Jesus is the one that's going to do it for them. They wanted an earthly savior who would act as a liberator, as a provider, and a protector. They wanted liberation from Rome. They wanted provision as in the days of King David. And they wanted protection from their enemies. 
And as we're going to see in the next few verses, um, John's eyesight is clear. He's got the advantage of hindsight, doesn't he? Like John knows now because he's seen the end of the movie. He knows that Jesus is the royal conquering king. He knows that Jesus triumphs over death in seven more days at this point. But this great crowd doesn't know that. They've been hungering for a king, and they're assuming that this is his victory march into the city. And it's interesting timing because the Passover is the biggest deal. And so you can imagine their excitement, like the king is coming, and he's coming during the week of Passover. This is awesome. Like, this is the best case scenario for our conqueror to come into the city. And what I want us to see, lest we um, judge them, um, since we've got that beautiful hindsight that John did, is that they didn't completely miss it. They didn't completely miss Jesus, right? It's just that their expectations and their timing were off a bit, right? So what about us this morning? Um, Is it possible that we're missing the point? That our expectations of Jesus may be off, or the timing is off? Um, I think sometimes, if you're like me, we're all too happy to let Jesus take the wheel Thank you, Jake. Thank you. That's so nice. We're all too happy to let Jesus take the wheel if he's driving us to power and position. And the people on this day had a misconception of Christ. He hadn't come to liberate them from Rome or to increase their GDP or to provide protection on their borders. So what is it that he had come to do? So in the, in, the, in the same way that he brought thing, or they brought things and they said things that revealed their hearts, look at what he does. This is beautiful, starting in 14. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat upon it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So the donkey at the time was a noble animal. So I want you to hear that first. The donkey is a very noble animal. It was used as a beast of service to carry the burdens of men. But here's what I didn't know about it until now. It was used by kings and their emissaries. And when they would come into a city declaring peace, they would ride on a donkey. And so what Jesus is saying very clearly by his choice of steed is that he's come in peace. Um, If he was coming as a conqueror, he'd be riding a noble stallion, right? But he's come on this donkey. Um, It's never been ridden before, which means it's sacred. And so John's kind of giving all these contextual details for us to paint this picture that Jesus has come in peace. He's not come as the conquering king as they had expected, And it says in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Fear not. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And so what he's doing is he's fulfilling a messianic prophecy, and he's making a very clear statement that he's come for peace. Right? So think about the juxtaposition here for people. They brought palm branches as a sign of conquering. 
um, as a sign of a victorious leader. Um, They're saying, save us. More than likely, they're saying, save us to the Roman guards that are surrounding us right now. And, And imagine Rome at this point, right? Two million plus Jews have all come to Jerusalem and they're shouting at this man who everyone's heard of, Hosanna, even the king of Israel. You can imagine that Rome is pretty nervous at this point. There could be a big uprising if they would just turn. But Jesus, instead of taking the stage as they want him to, he takes a humble posture. And he says that he's coming in peace. Now, I want us to pause and think about this. The great crowd came looking for a warrior king. But they got a humble servant. And as we know the rest of the story, he is a warrior king, isn't he? We know that Jesus is the great liberator. We know that he's the great provider and he's the great protector. We know that he's coming back and that the next time he comes back, he's not going to be on a colt. He's going to be on a stallion, a war horse. And his robe is going to be dipped in blood. So he will come back as a conquering king. And so what I want us to remember is that I think our friends, these, this great crowd of people, they were like the Corinthians. They could see, but they saw dimly. The mirror wasn't too good. They could see Jesus, but they didn't quite understand what he was saying. They missed the point. And so, again, is it possible that we've got some misconceptions about Jesus this morning? Um, When the fish are biting, when the bank account's full, when you love your job, there's a certain way that we approach Jesus, but when things aren't going as well, I think that reveals the state of our hearts when your health fails, when your bank account is nearing, nearing zero, right? Like there's these things that reveal the intentions of our hearts. And I wonder what Jesus is saying to us this morning. I wonder what he's saying to you. I know what he's saying to me is that I approach God for my own ends a bunch of times, a bunch of the time. And I've got these misconceptions of who he is and what he's come to do in my life. And frankly, they need to change. They need to change because while he is the conquering king, while he is the liberator, the provider, the protector, he's come for something else that's way more important. So I want to finish. Um, we're going to go pretty quickly through, through the rest of the passage. Um, We're going to see that there are three reactions. Two are right, one is less right. I'm learning to um, be more positive about things. So we've got three reactions. Two are for sure right, one is less for sure right, okay? The disciples, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand these things. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And I love this verse because it, it, we know that the, the disciples understood a whole lot about Jesus and the things that he said correctly. Uh, but this gives me some hope for when I don't see him correctly, when I don't respond correctly. They had eyes to see some things, but it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified that they connected the dots. And huge, huge win for us is that the Holy Spirit is the one that connected said dots for them. And so we have the benefit 
of the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us, Jesus says, in a couple of chapters from now, as our helper, as one who will remind us of all the things that our Savior said, right? So we have the Holy Spirit, and so one of the things that I regularly pray is, Holy Spirit, would you open my eyes, remind me of what the Savior said here. Give me all the insight that I need. This is his, part of his job description, if you will, is that he illuminates our hearts and our minds to the word of God and to what Jesus said. So the disciples, I'll let you decide. They didn't quite get it. Now, verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised Lazarus from the dead had continued to spread the word. And many people, because they heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. And so John is addressing a different crowd at this point. There's the crowd that had witnessed Jesus's calling forth of Lazarus from the tomb, as well as Lazarus actually getting out of the tomb, right? There's a difference between declaring something and then seeing it come to pass. So Jesus could have been real boisterous and walked up to the tomb and said, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus may not have gotten up, but he did. And I think that if Lazarus had, or Jesus had just been talk here, we wouldn't have this great crowd that had heard and been amazed. And what do they do? They had heard he'd performed this sign, and they went out to meet him. Now, who are these people? These are the people that had heard about the witness of Lazarus. So the, the people that had witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead, um, they went and spread the word. The, the hint here is this is a, a good reaction. This is a right reaction. That when they see Jesus, they go and tell others about him. Now this third reaction is really interesting to me. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Isn't that amazing? The Pharisees, the unfortunate enemies of Jesus, they get it completely right. See how the whole world has gone after him. One commentator said it this way, it's ironic. They are concerned that a few Judeans were being influenced, but their words expressed John's conviction that he was conquering the world. Right, and so the Pharisees, they don't see Jesus on a noble stallion, yet they see correctly. This man is conquering the world. See how the whole world goes after him. And I think it's just beautiful. And as we start to close this morning, I think some things for us to think through, what are we seeking liberation from? Um, I'm personally seeking liberation from heart disease. Didn't see that one coming in my 30s. And as some of us are seeking liberation from cancer and other medical things. I'm seeking uh, some provision for retirement. Anybody doing that one? Yeah? I'm seeking protection for my children from the enemy. And I could probably make a list for the next 20 minutes of the things I'm seeking Jesus for provision, protection, and liberation in my life. 
But I think there's a difference, and I think what John is pointing out is that the crowd saw him correctly. It's just the wrong time. They saw that he was the liberator. They saw that he was the provider, the protector. But they missed the central part of the story. You see, Jesus had come to liberate them from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. He'd come to protect them from their own sins that was leading them to hell. He came to provide peace, but not peace as the world gives. Right? Like he, Jesus came to provide peace between God and man. And this morning, um, as we go to the table, um, I want us to think through how good and right it is for us to ask the Lord to liberate us from cancer and from heart disease. I want us to remember that it's good and right to seek his provision financially because he owns all the cattle after all, as the Psalms say, right? He is actually your provider, not your job, the corporation that signs your checks. And it's good and right to ask the Lord for protection from the enemies that wage war against us. But as we come to the table each week, we get to see that Jesus was liberating us from something far more important. He's liberating us from being shackled to sin and being shackled to a way of life where we weren't even able to obey him. From being shackled to a destiny where we're in darkness our whole lives and then on for eternity. Um, He's come to provide us peace, true peace, not peace like Mr. Mayweather thinks he'll get when he gets one more Bugatti. And Jesus also came to protect us. So this morning, I want us to pray. I'm going to pray over us as um, we move towards the table and we sing a little bit more. Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, we just want to say that your name is the greatest name. Lord, we want to stop and we want to pause and tell you that. Lord, we want your kingdom to reign in our lives. We want your will to be done. Father, thank you for sending your son on our behalf. Thank you that you sent the true king. Lord, thank you that you sent the liberator, the provider and the protector on our behalf. And Lord, thank you that he came on a donkey. Lord, that he came in peace to provide us peace with you. Lord, we know that one day he's coming on a war horse. We know that one day all things will be made right. We know that one day he will receive all the glory due his name. 
Lord, thank you for his humility. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for his love for you and for us. As he went to the cross. And Jesus, we just confess that we need you this morning. We confess that we have misconceptions of you and that we seek the things that you provide for us and protect us from and liberate us from more than relationship with you sometimes. Lord, would you forgive us? Lord, would you remind us through the bread and the wine this morning that you've made true peace with you a reality? Remind us that we are now sons and daughters of the King. Remind us of your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the good news. And may we praise you accordingly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.